You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. This is Lisa Birnbach with Five Things That Make Life Better. And I'm asking the question today, have you ever met someone who seemed so perfect and maybe even more perfect than you had hoped to meet? Someone who ticked many of the boxes you were looking for in life and seemed to come out of nowhere and adore you. Well, this happened to journalist Abby Ellen, who sort of had an inkling that something was just too good to be true, but ignored it because maybe, just maybe, she's a romantic at heart, but I'm not sure you are, Abby. And the subsequent product is not a baby or marriage. It's a book called Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. Welcome to the podcast, Abby. Thank you so much for having me. Abby, as you pointed out in the book, people say to you all the time, oh, you're so fabulous and cynical and you're a journalist and you know how to look at people and how to analyze people. How did this happen? <laughs> well, how many times have you been asked that? I can't, I can't even, you know, yeah. but it's look, everybody wants a little fantasy, right? Everybody wants to believe. And if you are air on the side of cynicism, as I do, um, you, you, and if you've been told, you know, you just have to be a little optimistic. You just have to believe you just have to have faith. Then you keep thinking, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm too suspicious. Maybe I'm too mistrusting. Maybe I'm just a terrible human being. So I'm going to err on the side of, I'm going to give the guy a break. I'm going to give the person a break. You know, maybe right. the emperor is really wearing a thong, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, the emperor in this case was legitimately a doctor, was legitimately in a practice in Beverly Hills, was was legitimately, mm, uh, let's say, nice Jewish guy, uh, and had beautiful manners. Yep. Yep. And, you know, if that had been that, Dianu, that would have been fine. And you would have been either fine with him or bored with him, but it just didn't stop there. It didn't, it didn't, it did not stop. It would have been enough, correct. It didn't, he didn't stop. He told me, look, I met him when I interviewed him for an article. I needed a a doctor to comment on, on detox diets. So I called this guy and he gave me a quote and that was it. The story didn't run for another year. So I called the fact check when I said, are you still in Beverly Hills? And he said, no, I'm in the Navy now, and uh, I am actually in, in, in a naval hospital in Jacksonville. And first I said to him, how can you be in the Navy? You're Jewish. And he said, <laughs> he said, you know, I'm one of seven. I said, okay. And, but then he said, yeah, I, I had re- re-enlisted. I had been in the Navy years earlier. And as we, we start, the story ran, and he told me he was opening up a hospital for kids with cancer in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I said, that's a story. I want to know right. that. Keep me posted. Because I was changing up. I wanted to, I was going back to school, actually, to get a, a master's in international relations at Johns Hopkins. So I really wanted to change what I was writing about and do human rights and international human rights. And so anyway, we started talking. And, and what 
slowly came out was that he told me that he was doing secret missions with the CIA and that he was, you know, had done, had gotten a medal from Golda Meir and for something he did when he was, I guess, 12. And he, I mean, (laughs) you know, he had a a vault full of mission, full of medals for operations that did not officially exist, which is fascinating. And I am fundamentally a nice Jewish girl from Brookline, Massachusetts. I don't know about this world. I don't know about, this is not my world, so maybe it's possible, right? Maybe these kind of things exist. Right. I I would have been in the same situation thinking, wow, I didn't know these things existed, but good for him. Well, someone has to do that. Maybe he's a saint. Maybe he's a, a Jewish saint. Maybe he's a Jewish saint. And you'd say somebody has to do this, right? So what better decoy than this sort of nerdy, asthmatic, little doctor and you know and and some of the things he look he really was working at a task force in the pentagon i mean he really was i met people he worked with he was on the website like he didn't need to lie he didn't right right, he didn't need to he told me he met his ex-wife when he rescued her when when she was held hostage in iran and he swooped in like Superman. And when I said, when was when was this? Because the timeline didn't add up. He said it was a secret mission. You wouldn't have heard about it. I mean, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it was bizarre. It, all these things didn't add up. And yet maybe somebody has to do them. But maybe, but maybe they did. Maybe. I mean, at this point, maybe they did. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and so... I think, you know, he screamed legit. He had screaming nightmares uh, and he would sleep with the light and the TV on and uh, the Food Network is what he liked to watch at night. And I said, why? And he said, well, I was held hostage in China and I was tortured and they would come get me in the middle of the night and and beat me up. And so, you know, I would, uh, that's why I I keep the lights on. I have PTSD. And again, what do I know? Because he really did scream. He really did scream. So right. It was very, it was, I was, I felt really gaslit is how I felt. Like, you mean, you know, the movie with Ingrid Bergman, I just felt right. like something was off and I didn't know what was off and I was questioning my own sanity. That was the big problem. But nevertheless, he was, when he was not acting PTSD crazy, he was also taking you out to beautiful dinners and buying you flowers and romancing you in a in a really nice way that maybe you hadn't been romanced in for some time. Well, and also, and I don't know. How- I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt because I think like many single people, you know, you grow cynical, you grow a certain shell over you, and then someone is wrong but right and getting a little bit more right as you know them. And I'm I'm just saying any of us would have felt as you did that this feels kind of weird. Twelve years old, a medal from Golda Meir, Chinese hostage swooping. I have a- he has asthma, but then again, he did lovely things that made you believe in him. Well, that's and I met his twelve-year-old son at the time, who who really was twelve, and I met his daughter, and the son, you know, really thought his father was a war hero. I mean, right. And I thought, what, and you know, who would do that? Why would the wife, the ex-wife allow her son to believe something like that? Cause that to me, you know, why would you want to lie to your kid? And why would they right. permit it? So I thought it was true, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't beat myself up a because I got out within a year, but B because 
I do think you have to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. And the other thing is I was 42 at the time, 41 or 42. And, you know, I thought this is a conscious choice I'm making here. Was he the love of my life? Was he my, you know, my Keanu Reeves? No, he wasn't. He wasn't Keanu or, or Ryan Gosling, whom, whom I like. I mean, he wasn't that. It was it was like this mature, I loved him. Was he the, was it mad, passionate, you know, that? No, it was like, this is going to be my life partner. And so there was a conscious decision to say, I'm going to overlook things that are, you know, maybe giving me pause because there's so many other things that are, are so right. And it just might be my own suspicions. Abby, did you introduce him? You call him the commander in the book. Did you introduce the commander to any of your friends? Yep. In this in this massive passionate year? Yep. They met him and liked him. My I have a friend who's actually in her 80s now and she has good good bullshit detector. She liked him so much. My mother my mother, Your mother, my mother liked him. What's not to like? He's a Jewish doctor. My, right. um, my brother liked him. People liked him. He was, he really, he wasn't like he was so good looking, but he was charming and he made you feel like you were just it. And, and, and he talked to you and he listened and he laughed at, oh, and he always picked up the tab and you know, that kind of thing. So when was it that it turned and you realized he's never been to China, he's never gotten that medal, and I'm not the love of his life, even <laughs> though he told you that you were? He told me. I, ha- I have it in writing. Um, he, <laughs> I, I have it on um, many. He, I have it on a tattoo. I have it on a tattoo. Exactly. Why not forever? No, things just didn't add up. And because of what I do and because of who I am, I asked questions and he would get very angry with me because he would say, you don't trust me. And I would say, you're right. I don't. And he would say, well, you can't have a relationship without trust. And I would say, you're right. You can't. So appease me, like do something that will make me feel better. And, and, you know, so he would go off on these secret missions. He would take off on these secret missions for, I don't know where. And I'd say, what are you doing? He said, I can't tell you. I'll tell you when there's a secure line. (laughs) And I'd say, okay. And he would just, things didn't add up. I, 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 found a letter. We, so we moved in together. I went to school with Johns Hopkins and we were living in Washington at, of course, the Watergate because where else can live if you're going to deal with deception, right? So we moved right. to Watergate. And I, one day I found a letter to, that he had written on the computer to his ex-wife saying, you know, if I'm going to Afghanistan and if I survive, I want you to know that I'm going to try and get back together with you you know, and, and, and rebuild what we lost and all of this stuff. And I, so I remember being devastated. Was that an old letter you found or a letter he had written in your tenure? During my tenure. It was over Ah. the summer. He had gone to Afghanistan over the summer and it was written during that time. Yep. And so I said, this must have been in September of, of, we're going back now to 2010. And I said, what do you want to get back to your your ex-wife, with your ex-wife? And of course, the the first thing he did was yell at me. What are you reading? For snooping. Right. Exactly. And then he said, no, I just wrote it to Flash, actually for my son, because my son is having a very hard time with a divorce. And so I wrote it to Flash in front of him. And I thought to myself, well, that's no good. Then you're lying to your son. So right. There were things like that. He would embellish things in front of people. He would, he would, you know, just say things to make people feel good. 
And it's really interesting because on the one hand, I'm, I like white lies. Like I'm okay with a white lie. I want you, Lisa, to, to, to email me after this and tell me that this was the greatest interview you've ever done. I'm cool with it. Oh, I've already written it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll be sending it to you shortly. Yeah. Perfect. And I, I want that. But on the other hand, I don't, you don't need to lie egregiously for no reason. The, the, all, the, finally, the big thing where I was like, I'm out of here because there were, there were all of these questions and he would also cancel events and parties and because he would have to go on these last minute retreats to some super secret CIA, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the last thing though, wasn't about anything military. It wasn't about any, any intelligence issue. It was, we went out to dinner with my parents. And he raved about these Brussels sprouts that we had that they didn't cook. It was at a restaurant in Washington. Right. And after the meal ended, he said, that was the worst meal I've ever eaten in my entire life. And <gasps> I was like, why are you, li- why did you lie about that? No, I mean, again, there's white lies. Yeah. It's, there's no reason for that. You didn't have to write. Right. You didn't, you wouldn't have hurt anybody's feelings exactly. saying these are bad Brussels sprouts. Exactly. And I thought if he can lie about that, he can lie about anything. And I was done. And then- that was in my head. I was pretty much done. I spent Christmas with his kids and his brother and sister-in-law and their kids in Georgetown. And I, he had given me a ring because we were engaged. Right. And, right. So he'd give me a ring and his son, I overheard the son saying to him, what is that on Abby's finger? Is that from you? And I thought this man is making an ass out of me. And I don't know why he's, 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 why wouldn't he tell his son that he was engaged? He had told me he did tell his son and that his son's response was, what took you so long to propose? So I thought he's, he's messing with me. I, I don't know something's off. So I got it. That was it. I, I, I took the train home to New York city. Thank God. I, I mean, I hated Washington. I took the train to New York city and that was pretty much the end of it. Um, I had said to him, listen, I, I don't have anywhere to stay because my place in New York is rented. I said, I'll, I'll stay in the, in the Watergate with you. And you know, you can have the bedroom. I'll take the couch. It's fine. He said, no, no, I'm going to go to my brothers in Georgetown and you stay here. So I did for about two weeks. And then he said to me, you know, the Navy needs the apartment because allegedly the Navy had been paying for the apartment. Oh and my God. Yeah, they'd been paying the rent. He said, the Navy needs it. So we have to move out. So he sent my, sent my stuff home and I ended up, you know, commuting to New York. It was fine. But a few months later, I looked in the Watergate and the lights were on in the apartment and I called him and I said, are you, are you, is someone in there? Are you back? What's going on? He said, yes, it was a comedy of errors. I moved everything out. And then the Navy said, no, we want you to stay. So I moved everything back in. And I thought, okay, man, I'm Nancy Drew. I'm checking this out. So I, <laughs> I, call, I said, okay, well, I have to pick up a rug. I have a rug there that I left, which is true. And I want to get it. So I go into the apartment. He lets me in. I didn't have a key. And everything, Lisa, Everything was exactly as it was when I left. Yeah. Was yeah. the soap in the soap dish. And I said, you never moved out. And he looked at me and he said, oh, yes, I did. And that's when I thought, this guy is nuts. So that was, I mean, I had been done already, but that's when it was sort of validated that this guy is out of his bloody mind. A year. Um, yeah. Sorry. sorry. I'll, I'll tell me if I'm rambling. A year and a half later, I got a call one day from a guy named Dan Ryan, who was a special agent with NCIS, which is Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Right. He told me that there was a doctor who was writing prescriptions for narcotics in people's names. My name was one of them. Did I know the doctor? And did I have a prescription for Vicodin? And I said, 
No, I prefer Valium. And then, uh-huh. and yeah, I know this guy. So that was a very long winded answer, but is that it was, an, it was in March of 2012 when I finally discovered what exactly wow. I've been doing. So he was probably getting awards for uh, drug dealing really from the Pentagon, those top secret missions. That's hilarious. Yeah. I think he was dealing drugs there. They said there was no evidence of that, but there was evidence that he was using drugs and that asthma inhaler that he had was, Mm -hmm. I think, filled with crushed drugs. Oh, put him in. Yeah. And yeah, which is very smart. Well, okay. So this guy, you lived with him. You, you thought you were engaged to him. Um, he did psychological number on you, but he never physically harmed you. Nope. He never physically harmed me. It's funny because I always say- And you were never scared of that? I was scared. I was scared. There was, I was- I'm scared now. (laughs) Just even reliving it with you. I, he was a, he was a a kind of a short, very thin- guy. I mean, he was stronger than I was, obviously. One night he screamed in the middle of the night and I went to sort of comfort him and I, he almost choked me. That was unnerving. I wondered sometimes if he was really, you know, he used the word, I kid you not, he used the word, we neutralize them, talking about the bad guys. We neutralize them. And who talks like that? But anyway, I yeah, thought, yeah. well, he's a doctor. Maybe he could inject me with some serum in the middle of the night. <laughs> but I, it, I wasn't so much afraid of that. I, 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 it was the psychology of it. I, I really just didn't know which way was up. I mean, it was, it was, that was what it was. It was gaslighting. It was really, it was gaslighting and, and it would have had a worse impact on you had you not been a reporter and had you not sought out his other wives or wife or, or fiancés or. After Dan Ryan called me, I, I, then I really, I was like, now I can really investigate. And my mother, to her credit, always said, you know, Jewish mother, who quits a big job in Beverly Hills in private practice? It doesn't make sense to join the Navy. It just doesn't right. make sense, which is true. And, you know, she said, I wish you could call the ex-wife. And I couldn't while I was with him, but I could as soon as I found out that he was in trouble with the law. So right. when she, I called her and she was like, yeah, I never, I've never been to Iran. He was never in China. He oh, was married wow. once before me. And oh yeah, he was engaged to another woman when he was engaged to you. So in December of 2009, which is really when he began courting me or calling me more, I should say, he proposed to another woman and they lived together in Jacksonville. And in February- Oh, that's what he was doing in his top secret Jacksonville correct. hideout. Correct. Uh-huh. And when he was in, in February of whatever, he told her, I have to go on a secret mission. I'll call you when I come back. <laughs> And the secret mission was Operation Abbey. I mean, that's what it was. Operation Abbey, yeah. She never knew what happened to him. So then I called her. And then, and actually, she and I are friends. She had no idea what happened. He just disappeared on her. And she had kids who who loved him. And what I also learned is that he'd been married actually twice before me, before I didn't know about the first wife. And she said- Complications, complications. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was. So that's when I kicked in, that's when I, you know- yeah. So that's when I discovered everything and I called uh, people he worked with at the Pentagon. I mean, all of these people who were really devastated because they thought he was their nice, nerdy doctor who they trusted implicitly. 
What's so weird about the story is that, as you said, if he hadn't embellished, everything would have been fine. If he had said to you, I've been married twice, but you're the love of my life, that would have been better than not knowing and hearing some fakakta story about a rescue mission in Afghanistan. If he had said, well, right before you and I started dating, I got engaged to someone else, but I'm going to work that out. That would have been fine too. I mean, it's just, it's like his lie, he couldn't control the lying. Well, it was as if it was a reflexive part of his being, but I'm, I'm leading to my next thought, which yeah. is Abby, you did something really great with this terrible experience you had, and you turned it into a study of why people lie, how con men are, or women are made. And it's just fascinating. I mean, as you said, at the end of the book, he left you with something more valuable than that crummy ring he gave you. He left you with a book. Yeah. No, I got a story. It wasn't necessarily the story I wanted, but I got a story. Um, I was fascinated by it because I wanted to know who these people are because every because I told everybody my story. And every time right. I still tell people my story, everybody has a story like this or they know someone who did. Everybody, right. men and women, and, or an entire country. And um, uh, yes, so everybody knows somebody. And I realized just how common it was. And so that's when I thought, okay, there's something here, but nobody really wants to talk about it because no one wants to look like an idiot. No one wants to feel like a fool. No one wants to feel like they were taken advantage of, you know, or taken for a ride or duped. So I wanted to know, and you know, some people really have, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a brain thing. They, they've done studies where people's brains are different. People who are pathological liars have different, uh, their brains are different. Also, there are studies that show that once you lie, you, the more you tell the lie, the more you believe it. The more you believe it. Yep. Right. So that was one thing that you found out was that people like your ex-fiance probably in their minds believe everything they told you. Yep. And and that is what they do. And that may be how they function and have functioned successfully. For example, the man in the White House. Oh, they could pass a, a polygraph. And, and, you know, people believe that these polygraph tests are, are lie detectors. They're not lie detectors. There is no right. lie detector. It just measures your autonomic responses. It ma- measures your anxiety rate and your heart rate. So if you believe your lies, you're going to pass. And if, yeah, so this guy in the White House, I think he really believes the stuff he says. I really, I think he does or doesn't care or, and, or both. And I think my guy the exact same way. They just didn't care. You know, the funny thing is while this guy was with me, he was actually courting another woman and she's the one who ended up nailing him. She wore a wire. And she nailed him and that's yeah. busted. And she, but he was telling her the same things. And she had a father in the military and she called bullshit also on everything he said. But, but for a while it even messed with her. I guess my point is that they are so good at this stuff because they believe it. They're able to make you believe it. And then there's another form of damage, which you confess to, which is how do you trust yourself again? You're a smart, discerning, questioning, clever person who's been duped. How do you know? How do you know the next person isn't duping you? <laughs> what what happens to your sniffer, you know, and your heart and and 
all your uh, all your powers of questioning and discernment? Well, yeah, it's a really good question. I I, I think what I my takeaway was I I was right. I don't know if you watch Homeland, but do you remember that scene? If you do, in the beginning when she was like Brody, she thought he was a working, you know, with the bad guys. She thought he was a jihadist and, and she didn't know. And then the, in the very last episode, she said, I was right. I mean, that's how I felt. I was right. I knew something was off and I was right. So I actually felt very validated in my sniffer because I thought something was off and, 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 you know, but I guess, I guess there's also a little bit of, I don't know if this is an apt metaphor, but a little Anne Frank too. It's like, I want to believe people are good. And so I don't believe people are still, are going to lie to me. And yet I know they do. So the moral, the answer to your question is I am still single. I mean, I, I, I ended up dating somebody years after the commander who did your basic lying. I mean, he told me he was separated from his wife when they were separated the way you're separated from someone, you know, at a table, like by a plate. I mean, they weren't separated at all. <laughs> and yeah. that didn't remember on me. But that, I mean, that was like, he, he, I don't think he was a psychopath. He just was, you know, he just was basically- He was just a liar. just a cliche. Yeah. And I just decided, you know, and it's just much easier for me to do what I want to do and, and you know, be who I want to be. And I'm, I'm pathologically independent. So in answer to your question is, I think I have a really good sniffer. I just don't know if I want to deal with anybody. I get it. And we'll be back with more with Abby Ellen in just one moment. We're back with Abby Ellen. Her book is called Duped. It's a book you can't put down because here is a smart, not just smart, really smart woman reporter, uh, masters of foreign affairs at Johns Hopkins, who fell for a con artist. Um, I, I can't recommend the book more, but now Abby Ellen, even Abby, has a list of five things that make her life better. So number one, Abby, what is your number one thing? My passport. <laughs> I get it. I mean, there was a time, there was a day when people could travel and you could go on airplanes and you could leave the country or even leave your house. And I really was good at that. And I missed that. I, I, I Yeah. So my passport. I noticed that your travel plans in the olden days when people could leave their houses was pretty adventurous. It wasn't just Paris, London, uh, Amsterdam. Oh, no, 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 no. I find Kilimanjaro, Cuba, um, Vietnam, Cambodia, Africa. Yeah. I, I, you know where I want to go? I want to go to space. I really want to go to space. Oh, wow. On a special mission? Yeah, on a, on a secret mission. I can't tell you. On a secret that. mission? Yeah, I won't, I'm not going to tell you about it until after. But I no, I'd like to go, but I don't want to go just in the rocket and just go up. You know, like I want to go like float. I want to go on Mars. I want to go to the moon. Don't you? No, I do not. Actually, I do not at all. I do not do not in a car. I do not do not in a bar. <laughs> I would be very happy to go to Brazil, a place you've been to. But, oh, yeah. but space, not so much. That's fascinating. Yeah, I love Brazil. I well, because Brazil. once you go to Mars, you commit to staying in Mars. No, you come back down. I don't think so. I think they want you to stay there for like three years. And three years in Mars could do a number on your skin. But that's a, we'll talk about that when we're not well, on I, air. I just feel like Mars is better than Uranus. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. You win that round. Number two. <laughs> Number two. I don't, what did I, oh, my cello. Yeah. I started playing the cello in my thirties because I wanted to always play the cello. And so I learned cello is really hard. There's no frets. I mean, it's like this, it's ridiculous. Like the violin. Yeah, there are no frets. No, there's no frets. And it's also big. It's probably as tall as you are. Sadly, yes. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's big and it's, it's, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm okay. I couldn't read, you know, the music. I couldn't do anything before. Uh, and I can play. I play in an orchestra. I play in this orchestra called the New York Late Starters Orchestra. And oh, that's adorable. Yeah, it's actually the, my one of my, it gives me, it sounds like so, and I'm not like this sort of sappy person, but it gives me joy. I get joy out of playing this thing. So I, I, I love that. Number three. Mountains, climbing mountains. Like I said, I climbed Kilimanjaro. I had, I decided when I turned 40 that I was going to do that. So I had planned to go and I had broken my wrists and it was in a cast and I had broken it like a month before I was supposed to go, but I already, already paid. So what was I going to give up the money? So I went, I, I climbed Kilimanjaro with a broken wrist and I summited with a broken wrist. And wow. That must've been difficult. Um, it was, it's, you know, it's not a technical climb. So you don't need your, you're not really climbing with your hands, but you know, like I had one humongous glove and then one normal sized glove and I could only use one pole. So it was, it was just sort of annoying. Yeah. It was not, you know, but I climb mountains a lot. I love to go to Utah and climb there. I love Zion and Bryce and mm-hmm. anywhere. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Number four. Oh, Larry David. <laughs> Larry David, the man, Larry David of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I mean, I know they're pretty much the same, I, but yeah, I don't know him personally. I, I think it's just, I get such enormous pleasure from him and, and actually also Ricky Gervais, but I didn't know if I could put two. They make Yes, me, you can. They, yes, you can. They both make me, I was up last night watching Afterlife. Have you seen it? No, I hear it's fantastic. I, you know, especially right now with all this death, I mean, I just thought I was really laughing out loud, like in the real sense, not just in the LOL. And I do that with Curb too. The the problem with Curb is that I relate to Larry David. Like, I think I kind of am him sometimes. And and so that's a little weird. So maybe that was a total narcissistic answer because I I feel like Larry David is just totally misunderstood. (laughs) Would you ever open a revenge coffee uh, coffee shop? Sure. No, I wouldn't do that. I don't drink coffee. Maybe a revenge oh. for Coke. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait. All of this and all of this energy and all of your your terrific, I don't know, joie de vivre and you don't drink coffee? I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Oh, my God. But I drink what do you Coke, dry Coke, dry Coke. Oh, okay. It's got cocaine in it. I know it's okay. I'm, I'm not gonna. Ref- I'm not gonna tell on you. I put it in my asthma inhaler. It's fine. That's right. Just like other people in the White House. Yeah. Number five. This I, is great. Where did I? Oh, my mask. Was that what I put? Yeah. My ma- yeah. yeah. The mask. I love the mask so that no one can identify you in a lineup. It's um. So the other day, this is my Larry David moment. Uh, the other day, I was walking in Washington Square Park and. It was amazing to me that nobody was wearing a mask. I mean, there were really a lot of people who were maskless. That's terrible. Can I swear on this show, Lisa? Is that okay? Yes, you may. You're encouraged to. Okay, so I, I mean, this is really bad, but this couple walked by and they were walking their dog and they were not wearing masks. They were young. They were like young hipsters. And I said, why aren't you wearing a mask? And again, I feel safe saying whatever I want because no one will identify me in a lineup. 
And they said, the guy said to me, no hablo inglés. And I said, yeah, well, maybe you'll understand this. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I thought to myself, he'll never know who I am until now. So that was the anonymity of the mask. (laughs) And you got to say, mission accomplished. Well, the first time I wore uh, a face covering, I put a bandana over my face. And I felt like I might as well say I have a gub. I mean, really? Yeah. I look like a stick up artist. Yeah. No, it's, it's, what's interesting to me is that there are not more um, robberies right now. Cause I would think there would have been with people, you know, cause everyone's covered or should. On the other hand, we all feel so grateful for the few people who are actually manning the stores and showing up when we don't want to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, it's brought out our better natures, I think. Thanks, Abby, for your list. It was totally original. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. It's, you know, we should be grateful for the ability to wear a mask. I will be back with my five things in a moment. Don't go away. I am back. And here's my list of five things. Number one. My exhibit, A's exhibit. He's my son's son, so that makes him my grandson. Uh, We are separated by distance, but my daughter-in-law sends me pictures regularly, and we try to FaceTime every week. I'm the funny lady who makes funny noises and tries to kiss the phone. Okay, that's TMI. Number two, meatless meals. I've just felt so over the meat every night for dinner deal. And I know it's not good for us to eat that much meat. So we're really trying to go at least vegetarian or vegan one or two nights a week, maybe even three. And and I'm including pasta. We've eaten too much of that too. So, so. It's going to get more serious around here and probably less tasty, but you never know. Number three, I got some flowers in the house. I probably spent too much money on them, but the peonies and the hyacinth just look so great, bring the outside in and smell fantastic. Number four, this sponge, I, I never knew about it. I really didn't know that it was Shark Tank's number one thing product spinoff. It's called a Scrub Daddy. Okay, don't make me say the name again, but it's really good. I just happened to find it at my um, local hardware store. It's a hard worker. I, I, I'm very happy with it. Number five, my weekly phone calls and Zoom calls. I have three regularly scheduled Um, conversations with three different groups. Those three markers tell me what day it is and give a structure to my shapeless week. One is with dear old friends, one is with new friends, and one is kind of in between. Anyway, we all need human connection, especially in isolation. So they are great. And I recommend that you find some regular items in your week, sort of tent poles or something reliable that you can look forward to every week. 
You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week is Abby Ellen, award-winning journalist and author of Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married, published by Hachette Book Group. You can follow Abby on Twitter, at Abby Ellen, Facebook, Abby Ellen Author, and Instagram at Abby underscore Ellen underscore author. Her website is at abbyellen.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find our show. My blog is at lisabirnbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program, including a picture of my beloved grandson. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Spressa Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, stay safe and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers. <laughs>